This is Mona Tanja, president of NCSM, and welcome to Learning with Leaders, the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. Join me as I sit down and have conversations with emerging and established leaders exploring equity in action. You will hear from bold mathematics leaders as they share their experiences and actions and what they have learned from them. We think these next few minutes will help you consider the bold actions that you can take to focus on equity and support those that you serve. Grab a warm cup of coffee and a journal as we learn together on our mathematics leadership journey. Hello, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders. John Sanchiovanni and I are the co-hosts for the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. For the spring podcast, we have invited the featured speakers that are presenting at the NCSM Bold Leadership Summit to sit down with us and discuss what equity means to them and provide us a quick preview of the new learning that we will experience in April. Our guest today is Beatrice Moore Lucian. Beatrice has expanded her experience in the area of mathematics education beyond secondary mathematics teacher to include district supervisor, mathematics coach, and independent consultant. She has seamlessly integrated her Texas Lifetime Secondary Teacher Certification in the area of mathematics, Spanish, and journalism into her work with various programs to support improved instruction with a focus on equity and providing support for underrepresented student populations. She's a past board member of NCTM, past president of the Benjamin Banneker Association, and currently serves as the executive director of the organization. She has received numerous awards for her leadership and published a variety of professional articles. So we are super excited to have you today. So let's quickly welcome Beatrice. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, hey. so great to meet you after all of these uh, messages. I get, I get a face now with the name. So I'm Thank glad you. to be right. here. Thank you for the invitation, yeah. Welcome Beatrice, it's so nice to, to hear your voice and uh, look forward to all the great things you're gonna share with us um, today. So I'm gonna go ahead and kick us off. And the, and the first question I have for you is, uh, what are you most excited about for the Bold Summit? Are you kidding? I'm just ready to get out of the house uh, <laughs> with this <laughs> with this shutdown and being uh, tucked away. I am really excited about the energy that I know is going to be in the room because whenever we all get together at our conferences and things like that, there is so much energy. And sometimes we just need to be rejuvenated and be around people where we can share stories and we find ourselves in that community. And I really miss that sense of community. And I really am looking forward to networking, uh, speaking with the participants, getting to know what kinds of challenges they're up against and just really being in a place where there's going to be some learning. So again, I'm just excited to get out of the house, but I, <laughs> there are some other things too. So I'm just excited about the energy. Yeah, it's time to re be rejuvenated. I think everybody's looking forward to that. I agree with you 100%. I, I miss, um, actually, I miss people, like face-to-face -face people. Like I've seen you on the screen, but it was actually this weekend I had a chance to meet some of one of our newer board members in person. And I was like, you're really tall. <laughs> like, because all I ever see was what's on the screen. It was kind of funny. Yeah. All right, so I want my question for you is a lot of the focus of this Bold Leadership Summit is around the idea of equity. So we've been asking all the speakers, what does equity in mathematics education mean to you? Well, well, as a math teacher, of course, I'm going to use a, a math way of looking at it. And when we think about equity, a lot of times equity and equality 
seem to be placed together as though they are like this, where there's equity and there's equality over here. And in mathematics, equality, we're looking at a relationship between two quantities and um, or more and really assessing whether or not there's a balance, that there is equality. And so when you take that same understanding of equality and then you bring it over to the equity side, you immediately start to get a sense of it is impossible to operate in that space of equality when we're talking about children. So equity has to be the lens that we're looking through. And so students might be the same age, they may have gone to the same school, they may be in the same grade, uh, but that does not mean that there is that equality where same school, same age, same da 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 da. But there are going to be some experiences that one student may have that the other student does not have. There may be some learning differences uh, where we have students that have different learning styles and things of that nature. And so we have to take all of that into account and look at the whole child. And so that's what equity really says to me in education that I have to look at each student individually. I cannot look at a paper assessment of the student. The paper assessment is gonna give me one dimension, but I'm working with a student that is multi-dimensional, that has a lot of perhaps gaps with some students and other students don't have the gaps. They are flying, they have had exposure, they've had experiences that surpass this other student. However, that does not tell me that this child is not intelligent. They may show intelligence in different ways. And so when we start to think about equity in mathematics, I, it really says that I have to take into account the entire child and really start to look for what is the comprehensive approach that I need to take to provide this student with whatever he or she has um, not had exposure to, make sure that that exposure is there and also take into account what kinds of teaching strategies or what kind of relationship do I need to establish with this child? Because those relationships are the most important because that's gonna tell you more than what the, the paper, the data, and those kinds of things. So that's really what equity says to me as an educator. Wow, Beatrice, so, there's so, so many things for me to think about in, in that what you just shared. I mean, I often think about, you know, our pursuit of data in, in our field, we distill students down to numbers and not thinking about who they are and the whole child. And, you know, we rely on that one dimension of a paper pencil assessment or something like that. And, you know, the many things you just said there really, really struck with me. And I, I love that wonderful connection you made between equity and equality and, and mathematics. And, and as I think about, you know, data points and who our students are um, and equity in general, I, what, what challenges do you see as the, what, what are the greatest challenges to equity and mathematics education? I'm gonna give you my top three. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> um, number one is time. And number two is training. And number three is patience. Uh, we are so quick in systems to throw something out for the next best thing. We don't take the time to implement the correct training, evaluate the training, be able to see, is it really working? and what part is and, and what part is not working, and then have the patience to actually stick with something long enough to see if it actually does work. 
we throw out so many things before we even evaluate, did it work or do we even have an evaluation plan to be able to accurately assess, did it work or not work? And we want immediate results. But the things that got us to the place where we are, where we need to take some corrective measures did not happen overnight. Some of these are systemic issues that have been in place for decades. And uh, we just don't have the time, the training and the patience. Those are the biggest barriers that I see. Uh, within that time and training, our teachers need opportunities to grow in their role as champions of equity. And uh, so in the teacher programs, the teacher, the, the, in the college prep, is there a strong component of equity in that curriculum that they're exposed to? As a secondary mathematics teacher, who my actual, my major, my degree field was math and I went back and I got my certification afterwards. But because I have that language component it really made me look at everything through a different lens. And so I'm very comfortable, I was always very comfortable with this idea of equity, but I, I just wonder what kinds of programmatic things need to be in place in the pre-service education that teachers get that will allow them to step into situations that may be totally foreign to what they were accustomed to as a student. And how do they deal with students who come from different kinds of backgrounds, socioeconomic, uh, cultural, and all of those kinds of things. And so we need to have the correct training uh, opportunities for them to grow because it's not math that you teach, it's students that you teach. And the subject that you teach to the students that you teach is mathematics, but you have to become a champion. It's just like uh, the language components because I worked my entire life with English language learners. And I quickly started to understand what are the language barriers that we have in mathematics that are so similar to the language barriers that our ELL students have coming to another country, learning another language. Well, the same thing happens when they walk into a mathematics classroom. Um, a clear understanding of just what is equity. I don't think it exists in a lot of places. So how can we attack something when we're not even operating on the same premise of what is equity? What does equity mean to you? And at the state level, the district level, there's curriculum that's being developed and we do need standards and I'm totally not against standards. And I believe that we have to have standards. But when we think about all of these changes with curriculum, we can change the standards, but as long as our standards do not include some component that is going to address equity, then we're gonna find ourselves where we are uh, over and over again. Long-term systemic programmatic shifts are really needed uh, to make equity uh, something that is a cornerstone of the program rather than just another brick in the wall. And I'm looking at your background, <laughs> and that's, it, that's it, that's it right there. So equity could just be another brick in the wall or is equity really going to be a cornerstone that's going to be the support piece that makes that wall stand? Uh, retention of staff is also something that we have to deal with because in a lot of the large urban settings and even in uh, some of the more remote communities, retention of teachers 
is a problem because in the remote communities, sometimes the, the amount of money that they make is not enough to support a family. And so they're going to leave those districts, which is what happened to me my very first year teaching. And I'm going to show my age, but I don't care. Uh, my <laughs> first <okay>. year teaching, <laughs> my first year teaching, I made seven thousand eight hundred forty dollars. Wow, that's way less. Than I just did. and that was the year that that was the year that I realized I can never leave home. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I said, no, I am leaving home, and I had to move from my home of San Antonio to Houston, simply because of the economic issue. So we lose teachers, not because they don't want to do the job, but sometimes financially, it is not, they're not able to do what they, they really feel is their God-given calling. And so when we think about equity, we need time, we need training, and we have to have patience. But as we train our teachers, we're losing some of them. And in some places they're losing so many of them that the training never gets to take a chance to stick because we're constantly starting over. So when you asked me about the challenges, I gave you my top three and then I had to go into these other areas because they are all interconnected. But these are things where the system has got to come together. It's not a math issue because equity certainly is not something that is just exclusive to the area of mathematics. However, we start to see that in mathematics, we do have some of the greater challenges, uh, <laughs> you know, but those are just, those are, those are some of them uh, that I see that are really some barriers that we're going to have to figure out quickly how to address, or we're just going to find ourselves here another 50 or so years. Yeah, we don't want that to happen. That's been some of the, I, first of all, I wanted to say, I liked your analogy of the brick in the wall. And that's what a lot of the work when I'm working with teams is it's like, okay, so we're going to add this piece to it. Whereas what you're saying is we don't, you don't add it. You need to look at what you're doing through that lens, which is a exactly. really good way to think about equity. It can't be something you just sort of, here's something we're going to just add to what we're doing. It's, it's, you're looking at things differently because you're, you're acknowledging that the system is not working for kids. And that, that's what's really happening right now as, a, as an education, educational system is, you know, the COVID-19 brought, brought out a lot of inequities for our students. And so we are now having to, re, or now having to say, hey, we don't want to go back to normal, right? We need to, like, let's think about what, what was working, what isn't working, and don't, let's not always go back to normal, right? Because it wasn't working for all of our kids. So I just, right. I appreciate that, that lens of, of how you think about equity. Um, so you've talked a little bit in your opening kind of question, you talked a lot about assessment. So the reason why she was talking about assessment is for her session, her session is titled at, at the um, Bold Leadership Summit, is how do I know what they know? So what are some of the big ideas that math leaders will take away after working with you at the Bold Leadership Summit? Well, one of the big ideas is really how to create an environment in the classroom where productive struggle is expected, it's anticipated, it's actually planned for. Because when we think about the growth mindset and all of the things that we're doing in so many districts across the country, uh, and we think about assessment, 
Well, we have to put students in a place where they learn how to struggle in a productive manner so that when the assessment, whether it's the state assessment or the district assessment or just a classroom assessment, whatever formative assumative comes along, that they have learned that tenacity, that grit that they need. And so I want to share with them some very simple strategies, activities that really are centered on this whole notion of productive struggle. And uh, so that's one of the takeaways. Another takeaway is what, where, I guess where, where does language fit in to the math classroom? And this whole idea of mathematical discourse and communication and what kinds of strategies are there that are out there that really support oral and written communication and how we can use those as assessment opportunities so that we create a classroom where it's going to be okay to make a mistake. But even more than that, we want students to start to take ownership of their learning because they're actually put in a place where they have to discuss what they did, why they did it, and how they did it. So that during that conversation and listening to ideas of others, maybe a student will push pause for the first time and go, hey, wait, I need to revise my thinking. And so I will do some activities. I'll share some activities with the participants that really look at how can we get students into this space where they're actually talking about math and writing about math in a way that will help you measure what they understand about math, but also they're not turning these papers into you to grade, but they are using those papers as conversation tools. And I believe in revise and edit. That's going to be another big idea. Revise and edit. I love my language arts people <laughs> because they really, <laughs> they really get it, you know, because they don't turn in. Here's this five paragraph essay that is due and you get one chance. They do a draft and then they do another draft and they revise and they edit. Wow. And those kids become good writers. So how do we put kids in productive struggle, get them to be good thinkers without this whole notion of think, do, revise talk about it, revise again. And, um, and just the language and because writing is a memory uh, tool. And so if we could do more of the writing that is going to help you remember the things that are important. I also want to put in some um, reflective practice components as well. So those would be the big takeaways. It would be that uh, communication with that big idea of revise and edit and reflective practices that the students would walk out with so that they're taking more ownership and be able to be in that place of productive struggle and learn that, you know what, this is a good place to be because I can start to monitor my own growth. I can say, I didn't get it at first, but then I did this and I understood it a little better. And even if it's, it's okay if a student would be able to say, at first I didn't get any of it, but now I understand it to hear but I still have this much more to go. And that's that growth mindset uh, component as well. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the big things. I'm still working on the presentation. And so in the, the thing about it is I have got to stop reading. <laughs> I'm constantly thinking of other things that I can do. So at some point I'm gonna have to put a stop to it. But those are the big takeaways that I am really 
focusing on is the communication piece and the productive struggle, the retention issue for the students to be able to retain information and take ownership. Yeah, thank you. I, Beatrice, I have to tell you that uh, productive struggle is one of my passions in math, and it really aligns with this notion of thinking, uh, growth mindset as you speak to, and that you know assessment actually serves a purpose towards productive struggle when we're looking at who our students are, you know how they think about math, not just how they do math, um, and, and how they engage in, in, in what have you. So um, I'm really glad you brought that up. And go off script for a second, ask you a different question around assessment, okay. though. Um, you know, you speak really well about like those ideas of writing, revising, rethinking, what have you. Um, have you seen anything like this? I'm thinking about where we are in the world today on, in January. Um, what? Any strategies you've seen in the virtual setting that have worked well relative to, um, to, this, to this idea of assessment struggle and what have you? I have not seen it personally. I've been into some classrooms. As a matter of fact, I'm going into some classrooms later this week. And the first chance that I had to go into a school, uh, they only had about 25% of the students back. So very small classes, five students, four students, 10 students was the largest class that I saw. And I, I just think right now the teachers are really struggling with just how to do instruction right now and not really having a, a large enough toolkit of strategies that are transferable. Very and so when, yeah, so uh, that's why I said with the training and we know that the online method of instruction, it's not going away because all the science is telling us this will pass, but then there will be something similar to it later on or whatever. But we also see the opportunity to do much more virtual instruction, especially for students who need uh, AP classes and they're in uh, places where there aren't enough students to even warrant a teacher, you know, and those students have to travel to another school. Well, they can now do remote more re remote learning and things of that nature. So we really do have to help teachers expand their toolkit and get some strategies that are transferable. Here are some strategies that work not only in the virtual space, but in the in-person learning. So I have not seen it. Uh, I am working on how to help people do it though. <laughs> and so no, no, I've, given, no, I... I've given lots of suggestions with the uh, last time I was at this particular school that I'm going back to on Wednesday. So I'll be looking for it. I'll let you know how it goes. Right. Yeah, I'd love to hear. I mean, and, and the reason I ask you is because one of the challenges that I face, and I imagine that many of our leaders that face it will listen to this podcast is that um, looking and examining student thinking is, is critical that they have the opportunity to diagram their thinking, draw pictures, do representations and in those ways and unfortunately the technology is not there yet so that a teacher can interact well and more importantly our students can interact well with those diagrams and, and talk about them so I mean that doesn't mean there aren't kernels or nuggets of technology that can do that but it's not necessarily mainstream and so I was just interested to hear um, you know the experience you've had so thanks for oh, yeah. that. Oh you're welcome. Yeah one of the things I have teams using Flipgrid as mm -hmm as a way to at least hear student voice, because that was one thing that they were struggling with because everything was virtual. The team happens to be in California and everything was virtual at the beginning of the year. And it was, you know, the only time they really got student voice was during live instruction and they were getting a low attendance rate during live mm -hmm. instruction. So they'd have students completing work 
outside of class, but then they would never hear from them. So they started using Flipgrid. They also started just uploading pictures of student work, right? Like, okay, take yes. a picture. So at least there was something. It was better than just, you know, A, B, C, or D kind of looking mm -hmm. at what they know. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's just going to be a continuous struggle as we kind of go through, go through the rest of this school year um, and hopefully yeah. not, not going into 20, <laughs> onto the next right. school year, but yeah, yeah with the, for now. When, with the students that I've had an opportunity to work with and with the teachers with using Zoom at one particular campus and putting the students into a breakout room, I make sure that I have a facilitator for the breakout room and a timekeeper. And there's a specific task for each student to think about before they even go into the breakout room. So they have two minutes of think time and uh, where they're preparing. And I have something where they, it's very scripted. You know, they're jotting down some ideas so that when they move into that uh, breakout space, the conversation is actually going to occur because it is, you know, there's some things that they've had to think about before they go in. And then we use the whiteboard for the facilitator to jot some things down when we come back together, but randomly call on some students, but they've had, you know, it's very guided. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do some, we have to really plan. This virtual space is, is unlocking and uncovering where the real, the real cracks are. I almost said quacks, but <laughs> but it's where the real cracks are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where again, these transferable strategies and how many of the teachers really are equipped to do the in-person. If we were not equipped to do the in-person instruction, then the virtual instruction is certainly going to suffer. Yeah. So that brings me to my next question, um, which is, you know, we're, you know, we're struggling with assessments in the virtual world. So, and as we move forward, you know, what support do you think leaders need most with assessment? So an assessment, as a reminder for our listeners, is tied to the monitor guiding principle from the framework uh, for leadership in mathematics education, the newest um, NCSM publication. And, you know, what like, what do you think leaders need the most around assessments to make sure that they're supporting the, the mission and vision of NCSM, which is high quality teaching and learning of all students? Well, I have to keep going back to my passion, which is professional learning experiences, mm -hmm. you know, the training and uh, being able to be in a group of people who have similar, perhaps demographics that they, you know, teach or work with. Uh, because it's one thing to be from a very rural setting versus an urban setting and in a room trying to have a conversation about what are the challenges. There are going to be a lot of challenges that are similar, but it's so much easier to get people in a room who have similar backgrounds, similar areas where they're coming from. So it seems like they just have an easier way of communicating with one another and understanding what the challenges are in their particular case. So I really believe in professional learning experiences. But I also would like to have professional learning experiences that really address planning, performative assessment. And so that as we're in a PLC, the PLC time is not spent, uh, most of it is not spent, the majority of the time is not spent talking about the activities or what page or I found this from whatever site or whatever. 
but the time is really spent, the teachers come in, and this is what I did at one campus, and we were able to increase our student performance. The teachers came into the PLC with all of that already selected. And it was five minutes to just say why you know this is aligned. Okay, so that alignment is critical to the standard. So prove that it's aligned. Now, once we have proved that it's aligned, now let's get to work on how will we assess it. So we're going all the way back to, you know, begin with the end in mind. Exactly. <laughs> you know, because it still works. And mm -hmm. so we we create the assessment and then everything else is going to roll out from there. One of the other things, um, and this one might be difficult in some places, but I would really like for people to think about this. So many times when we think about data collection, we are collecting the lagging data, which is the summative data, which is now too late for us to do anything about that other than we'll plan for next year. And then we have leading data, which is gonna be that data that we plan for in that PLC, where we're gonna get real-time data that will allow us to pivot real-time and do some small group uh, intervention or what have you, and be able to create a classroom where there might be three different things going on, where here's my small group instruction. And elementary teachers are very um, well-versed at doing this. It's secondary that has more of uh, the problem because this is kind of how uh, elementary operates. But here's my, I'm doing intervention with these kids over here. These children over here are on target. Here's some students that need a little bit more enrichment. So you really have an opportunity to do the differentiation the way that it works in a classroom. And so with just with the, the assessment component, let's find some ways to assess student learning real time so that we are able to pivot real time and have more of a focus on leading uh, data rather than lagging data. Because so many times when we go in, all we're doing is looking at the test scores from last year. Yeah. But we're not looking at what is the real data right now that tells me where the kids are and what the issues are that they're having right now. So we have an opportunity right now to do some corrective measures so that when it is time for that summative assessment, we pretty much uh, have covered everything that we need to cover to get the results that we want. Beatrice, I love everything you said. And I want to ask you a question about almost everything you said, but <laughs> we are running out of time to do that. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things you left it up is training. And I certainly would remind our listeners that the Bold Leadership Summit provided by NCSN is a wonderful opportunity for training. Well, not just <laughs> yeah. assessment, but many other things, right? Um, but I want to say something else. You talked about planning for assessment. I think that's really great advice. Um, because, you know, as you say, we're not always trained very well as teachers um, to assess well. Um, you know, one little tidbit I always shared was that, you know, um, just take a moment to do the task yourself, right? So you can start to think about the misconceptions or more importantly, the strategies students might use that you're mm -hmm. biased about that you might not look for yourself, right? Um, yes. So that takes us to my, our last question for, for you. And that is, what is one piece of advice that you might give to a new leader um, about math leadership, assessment, or anything else you want to share? I'm going to give you three words. I Connect. thought you were going to give me three pieces. I was like, you're not going to no. I'm teasing. Go ahead. <laughs> three words. Connect, connect, connect. Oh. <laughs> nice, nice. Now establish that. Yeah. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, connect with organizations. 
where there's going to be support like NCSM at the national level and then your state affiliates of NCSM. When I first became a leader way back in 19... 100 and something. The first thing that the math supervisor, I was the K-8 math specialist and our K-12, our overall math supervisor, the first thing that she told me, she said, you have got to in, uh, fill out this form for your membership in TASM, the Texas Association of Supervisors of Mathematics. That is the first thing that she had me do. That was the, on the first day at work, the first thing she had me do was fill out my membership form for TASM. So and I never missed. For, uh, my, yeah. my, my friend, my mentor, Kay Sammons, my very first day on the job as a central office math resource person was to sign up to be an NCTM member, an NCSM <laughs> member and plan our session to speak together. So that's right. I just, I just, you struck a chord with me. I'm sorry for interrupting you. <laughs> No, absolutely. That's what it takes. And so, yes, yeah, she did the same thing. She said, here's the NCTM and um, ASCD. And so she got me connected. And uh, the other thing was going to our state and our regional conferences. And I know that now the, the districts don't have a lot of the financial support for teachers, but if it is in your hometown, please attend. Please attend. So connect, connect, connect connect with other teachers and uh, even have some ongoing conversations with people because sometimes in small districts, you might be the only eighth grade teacher. And so you don't have anybody else to talk to about eighth grade stuff. And a supervisor can only do too, so much. And so for the teachers that are out there as a leader, the math leaders that are out there for their teachers, I would suggest that they connect with their teachers and really find out what are their needs and see how you can help them to connect because maybe they don't know where to connect to. Another thing is to involve the building administrators as much as possible because they're the ones with the clout. See, as a math supervisor or a math specialist or a math coach, I really don't have any clout. It's a lovely title, but it comes without clout. <laughs> and so it is the principals that are going to be the ones who can make or break the mathematics program and you really need their support. So take the time to meet every principal that you are able to meet and forge a relationship with them because you are there to help them help their math department and, and help the district. So connect with those uh, leaders because they're the ones who have the clout. One other thing that I would say is to really help your teachers to become problem solvers. And I'm not talking about, oh, oh math problem solving. No, real world problem solving. And what I mean by that is when I go to a school, they call me because there's a challenge. There's an issue. When I get there, I need to do a quick needs assessment. And I sometimes ask people to just put on a post-it note, five biggest challenges that you guys are having with math instruction. No talking, no discussion, what are your top five? And then I have them go put them on the wall. And if you see one that's already up that's like yours, we're basically making a graph. And then I divide it into two parts, the things we can do something about 
and the things we can do nothing about. <laughs> and so now for one hour, we're gonna brainstorm and problem solve. What can we do about these things? We wanna stay focused. So you have to learn how to uh, work with your teachers. Many times you're going to find that it's not a math issue that you're, it's a management issue. It may be uh, something with materials or uh, finances, you know, with this building or something like that. Because of our certification processes that we have in a lot of states now, the math content is pretty much under wraps, but sometimes that's an issue as well. But it's not the number one issues in most places. So you, you also, as a math leader, you've got to have your understanding of classroom management and a huge uh, chest full of tools and strategies that you can share with those teachers who are in need. And so you'll find yourself being part math supervisor and part therapist. <laughs> so I did go back and get life coaching certification because I, I really found that that was something that was sorely needed because of the kinds of things that I was finding myself having to deal, deal with, with uh, a lot of the teachers. And it really did help me learn how to have conversations with them because I am there to help them. And so I really needed to figure out what kinds of ways could I help people in the ways that perhaps other people weren't able to. So those would be the big things. So connect, connect, connect. Connect, yeah, connect, connect. I like it. I like yeah. it. Connect, with, connect with those you serve, connect with mm -hmm. those to your north, really try and build those relationships. So thank you so much um, for your time today. And I'm so oh, looking no, forward, first you. of all, to hopefully see you face-to-face -face in April yes. so we can, we can learn together. So just thank you so much for your time and just yeah, thank you. looking forward to April. It's going to be great. Yeah. Thank you so much. It, is, it has been my pleasure. And for those that are listening, do know one thing that if no one else values you, I do. Oh, great way to end. Thank you so much, Beatrice. Yes, you're welcome. You guys have a great day and happy new year. <laughs> Dear NCSM podcast listeners, we have a special promotion starting February 11th that runs to May 10th, 2021. Use the promotion podcast when you join or renew your NCSM membership at mathedleadership.org. There are many benefits to being a member with the first being that you are a member of the premier mathematics leadership organization with access to resources and support as you work towards equitable instruction and improve student learning for all. You also have access to the newest monthly event, Networking Nights with NCSM, as we gather across the continent to discuss hot topics and learn from each other. Don't miss out on the opportunity to join or renew your NCSM membership now using the promo code podcast now till May 10th, 2021. We hope you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation and will tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. You can learn more about NCSM leadership in mathematics education and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website at mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter at mathedleaders using the hashtag NCSMBold. Thanks again.